Hello, everyone. This is Travis J. Vernon, and welcome to today's podcast. I was fortunate when I was living in the Midwest to work at a place called Mills Fleet Farm. I was only there for about a year, but I made some great friends while I was there. If you're not familiar with Mills Fleet Farm, you should check them out. Just Google search Mills Fleet Farm, and it'll pull right up. Everything from sporting goods, farming, camping, hunting, fishing, building supplies, just tons of stuff. It was a fun place to work. And while I was there, I was able to make some really good friends there. One in particular, a good friend by the name of Chuck. He and I were able to go on quite a few adventures together. I taught him how to fly fish. We turkey hunted together. And he taught me a very important lesson about recreating in the state of Wisconsin. About a year before I worked for Mills Fleet Farm, I went fly fishing in this little stream near the Kinnikinnick River. Lots of small brook trout, and it was just a really nice place to go and throw some dry flies around. And as I do when I find a new stream, I like to walk a large section of it. I'll fish when I see those pools and those pieces of water that are just too good to pass up. But for the most part, I'll go from where I park, I'll walk as far as I can just to scout the water, read the water, figure out what the fish are doing, see if I can see any hatches. Well, this particular stream was very near a college and it flowed right through a town. Like literally I parked at a ball field and I started fishing. It was great. Just a little gem tucked in the middle of nowhere. The first time I found this really nice pool, had a cut bank, deep drop off. And for a small stream, it had some sections that were so deep that I couldn't see the bottom. Started out with dries, didn't get any fish up, switched to dry dropper, didn't get any fish up, switched over to a streamer, just a small orange woolly bugger. And I started getting lots of flashes, fish coming up off the bottom. So I realized they were way deep, switched over to a, a small nymph rig and was able to catch a couple brookies. In the thinner water, where it wasn't quite so deep, you could do really well with the dry dropper. And then during those times of the summer where there were good hatches, dry flies are my favorite thing, and I would go down there and just have a great time catching brook trout on dry flies. In fact, the first few years I lived in the Midwest, I didn't even realize how good some of the trout fishing was. And most people out there don't do it. There's a few. But it was fun learning these new areas, places I didn't even know existed. In fact, I found a trout stream 200 yards from my home in Wisconsin. The stream was very small. It was stocked, but it had rainbows and brookies. And it was just a fun little piece of water to go hit. Two and a half years I lived there before I realized that stream was that close to my house. I think when I first went to the Midwest, I was so focused on learning all the other things that I didn't think about fly fishing for trout so much. I was learning how to hunt whitetail deer, turkeys, how to grow a food plot, how to catch walleye, muskie, sturgeon, all these things that I hadn't had opportunities for before. Well, when I left Mills Fleet Farm, I still went on a lot of adventures with Chuck while I was in the Midwest, worked for a greenhouse for a year, and then I ended up moving back out west to where I currently reside in Wyoming. When I left, Chuck gave me a pretty cool book. It's a leather-bound journal with an inscription that read, what do you give someone who has passed on his knowledge of the outdoors to you? Been a mentor and a great friend. A book, which is nice, so that he can continue to pass on all of his knowledge and thoughts to others for years to come. 
Thanks again for the epic adventures. Stay in touch. Your friend and student, Chuck. That was one of those things that was really touching to me. I've always enjoyed teaching others. And it's nice to know that I've had a positive impact on a few people. Well, on this first experience on this new little stream, I was by myself and I'd been covering quite a bit of ground. I got back to my vehicle. And like I normally do, I threw my boot up onto the truck tire to undo my laces. Get my wading boots off, strip out of my waders, turn them inside out. Jump in the truck and start driving that hour home. As I'm driving, it feels like my left forearm is sunburned. But it doesn't make sense because it's on the inside of my arm. You'd think that the sunburn would be on the top of my arm. I continue to drive up the road and it continues to get worse and worse. It starts to itch and burn. Like, my goodness, I don't, I don't even understand what's happening. By the time I get back to my house, I've got blisters all under the side of my arm. The minute my wife looked at it, she said, Oh no, you got into poison ivy. I didn't even realize there was such a thing. I'd read about it. I'd heard about it. But I'd never encountered it. I mean, in, in Utah and Wyoming, for the most part, if something's going to hurt you, it tells you first. Rattlesnakes rattle. Well, I guess cougars don't tell you first. Well, the ones I've encountered have. They've been pretty forward with me. Let me know that I wasn't welcome in that area. The poison ivy on my arm got so bad that it was just scabbed up and I was miserable. I had no idea that that would have that type of an effect on me. So those of you that have to deal with that kind of stuff all the time for your outdoor activities, holy smokes. Another interesting thing in Wisconsin, I couldn't believe the amount of ticks. I grew up all over the place. And when we came back to Utah, my grandmother would always tell me, be careful of ticks. And once in a while here and there, you get one. But one day sitting in a turkey blind in Wisconsin, I had 19 ticks that I had to flip off my legs that were crawling up me just while I was sitting there. If I took my dog out before I actually put the tick medication on him, every time I get back, I'd have to pick ticks off of him. So for those of you that have to deal with that, I apologize. That is terrible. But I guess it's some of those things that you just have to deal with when you spend a lot of time in the outdoors. For the most part, in the Uinta Mountains and the high country that I spend a lot of time in, the weather is your biggest opponent. So after I healed up from the poison ivy, Chuck wanted to go with me down on that piece of water. So I took my stepson Taylor and Chuck and I, and we went down and went fishing. And just had a ball. We caught so many brook trout. Well, on the way back, I said, hey, let's cut through this field. I found this last time I was here. It's a super easy walk. We get through it, and we're back at the truck. I take three steps into that field, and Chuck says, you don't want to go that way. And what are you talking about? And that's when he taught me what poison ivy looked like. Now, because I was waitered up, after this moment with Chuck, I was able to realize what had happened the time before. I had cut through a field of poison ivy. The poison ivy had gotten all over my waders and my boots. So when I put my foot up on the tire of the truck and then untied my boots, I must have been rubbing my forearm against my waders and boots and just coated myself in the oil from the poison ivy. After that, I was able to very easily recognize it and avoided it. And then I started seeing it all over the place. Places I had turkey hunted, places I had whitetail hunted, and I realized that it could have been way worse, way earlier. But I was glad that I was able to learn those things. It's those experiences that are fun. My stepson Taylor was a lot of fun. 
one of those high school kids that didn't like to wake up in the morning. I had been doing pretty well hunting turkeys. And on this particular year, I had two tags for this one week in Wisconsin. Taylor had one tag for that same week. So I was looking forward to getting out and hunting with him. I go in early in the morning, wake him up. Hey, Taylor, it's 4 a.m. It's time to get ready and go. He rolls over groggy. I don't want to go. I'm like, are you sure? It should be a good day at turkey hunting. It's getting to be a little bit later in the season. Most of the hens were sitting on nests. And toms were pretty aggressive. Are you sure you don't want to go? No, I'm too tired. I'm like, okay. So I headed down to my first fun turkey spot. Walked down the hill. No blind, just a couple of decoys. Set those out. Lean my back up against a tree. Wait for daybreak. Pretty soon you hear the turkeys. Down out of the trees. Gobbles everywhere. Few hand clucks and in come three toms on the run. Just straight running to the decoys. First one that comes in, good bird, nine inch beard, almost three quarter inch spur. Shoot him, boom, flop, throw the tag on it. And I think, you know what? I'm going to go hit my other spot and see if I can fill my other tag. It's maybe half an hour after light. So I head out to that next spot, sneaking up this tree line, and I get to a field that the farmer had plowed maybe a hundred yards to crest this little bit of a hill in the middle of the field and then it dropped down into a tree line but all I could see was to the top of this plowed field so I sit with my back up against the fence row put a couple of decoys little Jake and two hens out in front of me 30 yards into this field and I'm sitting in the grass against the fence post can hear birds gobbling know they're pretty close couple of hen clucks, bird gobbles in the trees on the other side of the hill. A few more hen clucks, gobbles again, now he's closer. More hen clucks, he's closer still. But then he refuses to come any farther. And I see him on the top of the hill, in full strut, in the wide open, about 150 yards away. He knows the game. He's not coming any closer. His job is to bring the hens to him, not him go to the hens. And he will not commit. Every time he starts to walk away to go back down the hill, I cluck again. He'd gobble, go back into full strut, stand up on top of that hill, and he'd want me to come to him. A few minutes goes by, he starts to leave, and I hear something in the grass immediately behind me. And when I say immediately behind me, within feet. As I said, I'm sitting in tall, dead grass. It's early spring. There's a little bit of fresh green. And out of the corner of my eye, a turkey ducks under the barbed wire fence that I'm leaning against and starts to walk towards the decoys. When he went under the fence, he was in between the fence post I was leaning on and the next fence post to the right. The moment he comes out of the grass into that plowed field, he goes into full strut, and I am shaking. He's way too close to shoot, so I'm just waiting for him to get out to the decoys. And he just takes his time, slow strutting, dragging his wingtips. You can hear the the humming that they make when they puff up all their feathers. Just kind of a whoa, 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 whoa. And he struts away, struts away, struts away, gets out to the decoys. Bang, flop, another bird down. So that's my two tags. It's now about 8.30 in the morning. Load my stuff up, get back to the house. It was about an hour drive. I get to the house. Taylor's eating a giant bowl of Lucky Charms, which is funny 
because he's my redheaded stepchild. So I used to joke all the time about him being part leprechaun, and he loved Lucky Charms. I always find that on the funny side. And he did too, so it was a good combination. Taylor sees that I pull in, walks over, opens the back door, and there are two cookie-cutter toms, both nice beards, both nice spurs. And I tell Taylor, it's too bad you weren't there. There were three toms that came in on the first set. He was pretty bummed with himself that he wasn't able to wake up and go with. But I told him I had that next day off, and we could go back to that first spot. We're going to see if maybe we couldn't bring one of those other two toms in. So that next morning, I wake him up at 4 o'clock. He's immediately out of bed, geared up, off we go. We head down and get to that first location. Birds gobbling in the trees. I get to that same tree. I tell Taylor, find a spot that you're comfortable. This is where they came from. And I'll sit behind you a little bit and call so that you don't have to move. Start to make a few little clucks. Gobbles in the trees. Like, man, there's birds everywhere right here. Still pretty chilly. Birds fly down out of the trees. I can hear them gobbling down in. Start to cluck. Every time I hit that slate, gobble. He's working in, but he is not coming on the run like they did yesterday. Keeps moving, keeps moving, keeps moving. I see him out of the corner of my left eye. I whisper to Taylor. Taylor's coming from the left. Can you see him? No. Like he's super nervous. And he walks behind this giant pile of deadfall. And he's more nervous and more nervous. I'm like, man, why is that bird nervous? How does he know where we are? The decoys are set down the hill from us, about 35 yards down and out in this open little meadow. But that Tom has us pegged, absolutely pegged, staring right at us. Like, what in the world? How does he see us? Like, Taylor, don't move. That Tom's looking right up here. Here's like, okay. So I peek to the right, and the spot Taylor has chosen to sit is in the wide open with his back against about a two and a half inch diameter sapling. And the leaves on this sapling are just going because he has buck fever, or I guess in this case, turkey fever. He has turkey fever so bad that he's shaking, and the entire tree he's leaning against is shaking. So I'm sure that turkey had seen that the entire time. He was watching this tree shake. Mike Taylor, you need to calm down. You need to stop shaking the tree. He knows where we are. He's like, I can't stop shaking. Mike Taylor, you've got to calm down. We're not going to get a chance at this bird. Well, the turkey doesn't like anything about it. He stays about 45 yards and ducks behind this big pile of downfall. To this point, Taylor hadn't been able to get a shot because he wasn't able to move his gun because the bird was staring straight at us. In the middle of this deadfall, there's a small opening about 12 inches in diameter. And that Tom gets behind that and lifts his head up and is looking through that 12-inch hole at the decoys and then looks back up the hill at us. Like, Taylor, you've got to stop shaking that tree. Like, can you see the turkey? No. I'm like, he's in the deadfall, in the hole. Oh, yeah, I can see it, but all I can see is its head. Like, perfect. Go ahead and shoot it. Like, I can't shoot it. All I can see is its head. That's perfect. Go ahead and shoot it. All you need to do 
You shoot it in the head. He's still shaking so bad. The tree's moving side to side. The turkey looks up the hill at us again. All right, Taylor, he's done. He's leaving. You got to get that shot. He slowly lifts his gun, takes the safety off, pulls the trigger. Bang. Flap, 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 flap. Bird's down. It was a beautiful time. 11-inch beard, 1-inch spurs. Absolutely beautiful eastern turkey. Taylor couldn't stop shaking for probably another half an hour. I'll never forget looking to the side and seeing that tree absolutely shaking. (laughs) I'm surprised that turkey came in at all. That was a great couple of days. It's always fun spending time with Taylor and my friend Chuck. I hope they're both still hunting turkeys, avoiding poison ivy, and catching brookies on dry flies. Thanks for listening, and get out there, and live your stories. (music) 